I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we will be discussing how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the Chinese People's Liberation Army and whether China has become more militarily assertive during the pandemic. Under President Xi Jinping, China has invested heavily in transforming the PLA into a more modern and capable fighting force. The COVID-19 pandemic does not appear to have compelled Beijing to alter its efforts to develop the PLA. Despite the economic fallout of COVID-19 in early 2020, the Chinese government announced a steady increase in its yearly defense budget, sending a clear signal that the Chinese leaders remain committed to military modernization. The PLA has also remained active since the start of the pandemic. The PLA has continued to engage in military diplomatic activities around the world. Its Air Force planes have made repeated and extensive incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. These actions have raised cross-strait tensions and heightened concerns about China's willingness to use force against the island. The PLA Navy has also held multiple military exercises in the East and South China Seas, and in August 2020, China made headlines around the world when the PLA rocket force tested two ballistic missiles by firing them into the South China Sea. Perhaps most notably, in the summer of 2020, Chinese forces brawled with Indian troops along the two countries' disputed border, leading to multiple deaths on both sides. So what is driving the PLA's activities? Are there indications that the PLA has become more assertive during the pandemic? Has the pandemic had any notable impacts on the PLA and its behavior? Here to discuss these questions and more, we're joined by Dr. Taylor Fravel. Dr. Fravel is the Arthur and Ruth Sloan Professor of Political Science and Director of Security Studies Program at MIT. Dr. Fravel studies international relations with a focus on international security, China, and East Asia. Taylor, thank you for joining us again on the China Power Podcast. Thank you, Bonnie. It's great to be here with you today. So I've asked you to join us today to talk about a question that has been on the minds for a lot of folks in D.C., and that is, is China, particularly the PLA, becoming more and more assertive? And has China been more assertive since the pandemic? So let me start with a question um, related to what China's been doing the past uh, year or so. So we've seen that China has continued to increase its annual defense budgets, and we've also seen China do so even as it's been trying to recover Is this surprising to you? Have you seen any indications that the COVID-19 pandemic has slowed PLA modernization? And in what ways has the pandemic impacted the PLA? Of course, if we think about the pandemic as something that's now lasted, you know, roughly a year and a half, I think the evidence is pretty clear that there's been no real appreciable slowdown in PLA modernization, especially if measured in terms of the annual increases in defense spending. Uh, defense spending has increased uh, in the last two years, uh, although it's at a much lower rate of increase than, say, in the previous 10 years. And so there has been kind of a secular decline in the growth rate in defense spending. But of course, it's still a rate of growth that is quite positive. So in that sense, if that's a metric of kind of commitment to modernization, then I think clearly the pandemic has not affected that element of the PLA in any way. And I think we see this in 
kind of the frequency and publicity of PLA exercises that have been conducted in the past two years. Of course, lots of exercises are routinely conducted in the summertime anyway due to the PLA's training schedule, uh, but we saw a steady uh, clip of exercises last summer and we're on the cusp of seeing uh, more this summer, including a quite significant exercise sort of southeast of Hainan Island. As you're looking at PLA exercises, have you seen any change or impact of the pandemic on the exercises? Or as you said, because the exercise cycle has, a lot of these exercises have occurred during the summer, you haven't seen too much of a difference because the pandemic seems to have, from what I've seen, uh, less of a um, impact during the summer than say during the fall and winter months. I haven't done a systematic analysis kind of counting all the publicly reported exercises. So my answer here is quite impressionistic, but it's my impression, right, that, that the sort of attention to exercises seems to be about the same. Uh, there may have been a sort of a slowdown perhaps in the spring of 2020 when the pandemic first broke out. But we know, for example, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute, but on the China-India border, Right, there were exercises in April that sort of preceded the much larger uh, movement in several areas on the on the border in May. Uh, so, so that's an example early on of where there didn't really seem to be an impact of the pandemic in terms of, of halting exercises. But of course, uh, we're not dealing with lots of information about PLA exercises either. Uh, we don't know, for example, if the PLA may have reduce the number of personnel in some of these exercises or reduce their scope or their timeframes in any way. But if one simply follows my very impressionistic approach and, and sort of looks at reporting of exercises in Chinese media, it seems to be about the same in the last two years and no real uh, significant sort of decline or decrease as a result of the pandemic. If you're not seeing that the PLA's at least exercise activity is significantly increasing or declining as a result of the pandemic, are you still seeing on a broader level that the PLA has become more assertive towards its neighbors during this period? And more specifically, has China sought to leverage the pandemic to push its military objectives, and has it been successful? Sure, those are two important questions. I think my view is that China, or the PLA in particular, uh, didn't become more assertive uh, during COVID-19, but did not become less assertive, which may actually appear to be an increase in assertiveness. In other words, uh, the level of assertiveness that we saw prior to the outbreak of the pandemic, I think has continued uh, in all of the main areas on China's periphery. In some cases, as I think we'll talk about in a minute with respect to India and Taiwan, certainly it increased. So the question there is whether that increase is due to dynamics associated with the pandemic or due to uh, factors associated with those disputes or uh, some uh, sort of combination uh, thereof. And of course, what complicates uh, sort of parsing the role of the pandemic is the fact that uh, as the PLA has become sort of more capable as, as sort of the Chinese military leadership is seeing the fruits of two decades of modernization, uh, the PLA is going to become more and more active. And this is you know a long-term trend over the last decade if one looks at not necessarily the frequency of exercises in uh, and around uh, China's periphery, but certainly sort of the range at which some of these exercises have taken place from uh, China's coasts or China's borders. Uh, so earlier this year, right, there was a significant flight of aircraft from China all the way to the southern tip of the South China Sea and back. And so, so you have sort of two trends that are sort of overlapping. One would be the pandemic, and the other would be the fact that the PLA is more modern, more capable, and thus uh, able to sort of more readily assert itself. And since we've seen 
sort of China using uh, military means to become more assertive in the last decade, it's not surprising that that would continue during the pandemic. What may be surprising uh, to some listeners is that China didn't retrench uh, as a result of uh, concerns about the pandemic. But I don't think it has become sort of more assertive than it already was, but bearing in mind that China has been increasingly assertive militarily in the past decade. You mentioned, uh, you referenced both India and Taiwan. I want to talk a little bit about both. Maybe we can move first to India. Could you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of PLA activities against India and how that fits within both uh, longer term trends of what China used to do before, as well as what China has been doing the past year and a half? And has there been any major shifts in Chinese activities, whether they're pandemic related cause or not? So, of course, you know, on the China-India border, the central event or episode of interest sort of has two parts. First, it would be China's movement, concerted movement of troops in three or four areas where the two countries disagree about the, the alignment of the line of actual control, which is a military line of separation that has served as sort of a de facto boundary in, in disputed areas really since uh, the early 1960s and the war in 1962. And this happened at the very end of April, or early May, uh, particularly in the Gaowan Valley uh, around Pangal Lake and in uh, two areas called sort of Gorga and Hot Springs, which are sort of relatively close uh, to each other. Then in June or in early June, there, there was an effort to bring about a disengagement as part of that process. Paradoxically, there was a very significant clash between Chinese and Indian forces in the Gaowan Valley that led to a significant loss of life on both sides. The situation sort of escalated further in August when India uh, moved to seize various mountain peaks and high ground areas both north and south of Pangong Lake, which then led to a sort of increased presence of troops by both sides in very close proximity to each other. There's some quite alarming photos of, of tanks at a pass south of Pangong Lake, perhaps 100 or 200 yards uh, from each other. And that situation continued until uh, February when there was an agreement to disengage forces in the Pangong Lake area and then create a north in the north bank of Pangong Lake to actually create a, a neutral or buffer zone into which neither side would conduct patrols. And that zone more or less overlaps with the area where the two sides have differing perceptions of the line of actual control. And then most recently, just a few days ago, there was a second agreement uh, to bring about a disengagement in the Gorga area that I mentioned. And uh, there is likely to be a further disengagement uh, in the area around Hot Springs. And then last summer, there was a disengagement around the Gaowan Valley. And so in some ways, this has kind of come full circle from China's initial moves in April, uh, which created conditions that precipitated the clash in June. Uh, which then in turn uh, created greater incentives for escalation, resulting in the Indian move in August, and then kind of a tense standoff uh, that occurred for the rest of 2020 and into uh, 2021. Now, you know, an important question that's sort of the theme of our discussion is how much of this might be attributed to the pandemic or to other factors. And my view here is that you know, the situation of the China-India border has sort of Tensions have been steadily increasing since you know, for about the last decade. I think uh, the situation, for, at least from China's standpoint, uh, which was clearly the first mover in this latest round of standoffs that started in 2020, has sort of been focused on a related standoff that had occurred in 2017 in an area called Doklam, which is actually uh, near the tri-junction of the Chinese, Indian, and 
Bhutanese borders and includes an area disputed by China and Bhutan. Uh, India moved into this area when it believed China was on the cusp of extending a road. And from China's standpoint, right, this was a significant escalation of sort of the situation on the border because India moved troops uh, across what India recognized to be an international boundary into what China viewed to be Chinese territory, what India viewed to be Bhutanese territory. And if one looks at uh, sort of Indian data on uh, what are described as transgressions across the line of actual control, which refer to in incidents or moments when uh, India records Chinese military forces crossing what they view to be the line of actual control. Uh, that number steadily increased in kind of the Western sector, um, which is where the Gowan Valley is located from 2017 sort of to the present. And so uh, for a bunch of other factors we could talk about if you want, I think in some ways uh, tensions were growing before the pandemic. China, perhaps from a tactical perspective, may have sensed an opportunity in April, although the data here is unclear because Chinese forces routinely conduct exercises it's sort of on the Tibet, Tibetan plateau during this period, but usually Indian forces mobilize at the same time. But that didn't happen in the spring of 2020 due to the pandemic on India's side. And so perhaps that created a sense of opportunity for China, but also for other factors due to the uh, creation of Ladakh as a union territory in, in sort of the middle of 2019, the completion of a significant and strategic road astride uh, kind of uh, the Western sector and very close in some cases uh, to the line of actual control were also uh, considerations for China. And so it's very hard to sort of say, had it not been for the pandemic, the situation on the border would not have occurred. Now, the pandemic perhaps may have played a, a different role or other trends may have played a different role in terms of bringing about the settlement. The other factor, of course, that overlaps with the pandemic uh, is the significant decline uh, in U.S.-China relations really throughout the year of 2020. And China may have concluded by the end of 2020, early 2021, uh, that sort of having a high, potentially volatile situation on the border with India could potentially be a distraction uh, with respect to the way in which China had become more, even more focused on the United States and the way in which U.S.-China relations had uh, deteriorated. And so this this may have played into sort of Chinese decisions to sort of pursue and agree to the disengagement. Uh, but there are also just, I think, crisis stability reasons why China might have done this as well. It's a great point to raise that, that the pandemic probably could have impacted the PLA's calculations in both thinking about initiating hostilities, but also um, in terms of thinking about scaling back different uh, military uh, efforts as well as reaching settlement. But um, you mentioned a int very interesting point that some of the initial moves taken on the PLA side could have been related to the fact that India didn't push back as much in April. And you also mentioned that some of the recent efforts could be related to China wanting to improve relations or focus more potentially on uh, U.S.-China dynamics in 2021 than focusing on developments on the India border. Could you talk a little bit about to what extent have you seen any evidence of PLA activity, whether that's on the India border or elsewhere, being impacted by considerations of decreased manning or any decreased sense of uh, lack of ability to sustain operations because of a pandemic or pandemic-related concerns? In terms of, have you seen any evidence that the pandemic has impacted PLA in terms of its manpower and, and then as a result, its ability to sustain operations? It's a hard question to answer because we don't have a lot of insight, right, 
in contrast to the United States, we're very public about these issues into, into how, how the pandemic affected different parts of the party state in China. And of course, because it was quickly portrayed as a great victory, you know, which the PLA uh, medical teams played a significant role uh, in Wuhan, um, that I don't think there would be any reporting of how the pandemic might have been uh, sort of negatively impacting Chinese forces or Chinese readiness. So in contrast, for example, right, to the very public uh, situation recurring uh, the U.S. aircraft carrier Teddy Roosevelt when, when the virus began to spread aboard uh, that ship and its thousands of personnel after you know, a visit uh, to Vietnam last sort of spring, I believe it was. And so it, it's a hard question to answer because we're sort of, you know, in some ways, limited uh, in terms of drawing on Chinese reporting about PLA activities that haven't, to my knowledge, been any significant uh, reports about the way in which uh, the pandemic uh, might have uh, reduced uh, readiness. And if one looks at uh, the ability, for example, of China to mobilize, at least according to Indian sources, roughly 50,000 troops along the western sector of the China-India border, that would seem to suggest that uh, there had been no uh, significant constraints on uh, the PLA from an operational perspective. That was one of the larger and more sustained uh, mobilization of forces in a very long time, especially with, with respect to ground forces. Now, in various exercises, they they may have involved significant numbers, but if, if those Indian estimates are correct, then I think there's pretty clear evidence right, that the pandemic itself didn't have an impact on, on the PLA's uh, sense of its ability to operate, or at least it could carry out a fair, fairly high level of operations with respect to uh, the way in which it mobilized those forces on, on the China-India border. Now, it could also be true, right, that that, that strained uh, the PLA and that they wanted to reduce that uh, strain to some degree, and that was one factor that led into the disengagement, although I think the major factor was probably simply wanting to prevent a further deterioration of ties with India as uh, ties with the U.S. were worsening and to prevent an actual armed conflict from occurring on the border. So it seems like what you're saying is, uh, well, at least when looking at the China-India tensions, China was trying to find an opportunity where it existed. And in this case, it may or may not have been related to the pandemic, but tensions, as you mentioned, uh, were already increasing between the two sides since at least 2017. And the most recent episode just happened to be where China found an opportunity when the pandemic was occurring. This again, it gets very hard to parse the effect of the pandemic. So if we think about the China-India border, because of sort of climate and weather considerations, there's a fairly short, you know, so-called campaigning season, right? Which basically starts in April and ends in October. Now you can sustain forces throughout the winter, but it's much harder to move them because uh, of conditions are so harsh than it is in the summer. And so one looks at all of the standoffs between China and India in since 2012, they've all occurred, I want to say, in April, May or June, right? So there's just a weather factor that is relevant. And if, if we focus on the China-India border for a minute, you know, one factor that seems to have been quite significant on the Chinese side was India's uh, declaration in August of 2019 to sort of bifurcate the state of Jammu and Kashmir and create two federally administered territories, which then led to the publication of a new map of Ladakh, which included sort of India's maximalist claims and then pretty harsh language uh, in the Indian parliament about you know, doing whatever it takes to sort of protect Indian territory and so on and so forth. And that all sort of took place sort of August to October 
of 2019. And so coming into 2020, it's not unsurprising that China may have wanted to react to that in some way, as it probably felt India was further escalating or India was hardening its position with respect to disputed territory. And so if that is a, a correct analysis, then China might have acted regardless of the pandemic in the spring of 2020. Uh, the pandemic itself may have affected their opportunity to do so if indeed India did not sort of uh, sort of mobilize in, in the spring of 2020 in the ways that it had done in, in previous years. It's not clear that China necessarily would have known that in advance. Uh, they might have. But I think given the way in which activity was increasing on the border, as recorded by sources in India, it makes me think that we would have seen uh, something like we saw in the spring of 2020 on the China-India border, regardless of the pandemic. I mean, now, now we're in the area of counterfactuals, and that can be a little more hard to parse. I don't think the pandemic played a role in the clash in the Galwan Valley, and that was just a function of, of how kind of the situation had spiraled out of control after China decided to move uh, forward in those four areas in May. Let me now move to Taiwan, and then I want to move to South China Sea. Do you see a similar pattern of developments in Taiwan in the sense of uh, China generally becoming more assertive and then using the situation on the ground to advance its interests? And China would have, had there been no pandemic, been as assertive against Taiwan as what we saw in the last one and a half years? Or had, did the pandemic have a different impact on what was happening in the Taiwan Strait? So I guess unsurprisingly, my view is that the pandemic didn't have a significant impact because of the underlying factors driving tensions across the strait, which continued and in some ways increased during the pandemic, particularly, at least from China's standpoint, uh, actions that the United States was taking, especially in Congress, but also in other ways right, to increase its support for Taiwan and sort of to do so in ways that were kind of quite public with some high level visits of officials leading up to kind of Secretary of State Pompeo's change in the contact guidelines or regulations at the State Department and then a visit uh, that was ultimately canceled, but would have, I think, been quite significant in terms of uh, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. making a visit to Taiwan. Now, one key element right, of China's response uh, in 2020 was to increase or make regular patrols or flights in that sort of sometimes across the median line uh, between the Taiwan Strait, but almost always would enter uh, into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Now, the zone actually goes all the way into sort of parts of China. So it's not necessarily, or at least it did originally, uh, but it, you know, it covers most of the strait. So, so in that sense, it's, or especially in, in sort of the Southern area, it is relatively easy for China to do, but this was obviously a, a decision to kind of harden uh, China's standpoint and use military assets to do so. And then occasionally, right, you'd have these really significant uh, sort of sorties or strike packages that would enter, including fighters, bombers, as well as the traditional or, or the, the more normal surveillance uh, and reconnaissance aircraft that would sort of make not quite routine daily flights, but, you know, I think roughly 20 times a month. And so this is obviously a, a very significant development that began in 2020. Uh, my view is it's, it's probably related to the broader way in which China was assessing uh, the situation across the state, the strait from its standpoint, wanting to sort of uh, signal resolve, not just to Washington, when these sort of high profile visits would happen, which often then uh, would spark or trigger one of those kind of strike packages from flying into the air defense identification zone, or in some cases, uh, crossing the median line. And so it can be very hard to parse that right from the pandemic itself, because it was clearly 
a behavior, right, that increased or changed during the pandemic. I don't think it changed as a result of the pandemic, but it clearly uh, did overlap with the pandemic to a significant degree. Now, you know, there's obviously a significant debate going on right now in Washington about whether or not China's use of force is eminent across the strait. Uh, I think that is also a debate that doesn't really uh, give much uh, weight to the pandemic itself, but rather to Chinese capabilities and uh, Chinese assessments of political trends across the strait. And so if I'm going to, I guess, plug the thesis I'm developing in my conversation with you, I would say that the pandemic was probably a secondary factor, could have you know, played a role in, in some areas, but the primary factor is, is, is conditions uh, sort of across the strait, U.S. Uh, and, and sort of from China's standpoint, perceived changes in the U.S. support for Taiwan are very high profile examples of support that in turn warranted a response. Um, and that response has typically come in the form of, of these uh, flights into uh, Taiwan's air defense identification zone. In terms of looking at the pandemic, maybe as a secondary factor, as you mentioned, I guess one secondary factor that we could consider was ways in which Taiwan, as a result of the pandemic, became much more active and trying to uh, provide for the international community to counter the pandemic's effects in terms of whether that's medical supplies and whatnot, and how China viewed that as Taiwan seeking more international space and perhaps needing to respond to that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And certainly, right, Taiwan had a terrific response to the pandemic. I mean, it was really impressive. It remains impressive today, even though, though they have had uh, an outbreak, although it's it's been brought under control, and that you know significantly raised Taiwan's international profile. Uh, I think it also was an opportunity to highlight uh, sort of the costs, right, of Taiwan's exclusion from different organizations, especially the WHO, but also others, and the way in which Taiwan could contribute a lot to to sort of ending what ultimately is a, a global challenge that does not know international borders or really care much about state sovereignty, even though I think the pandemic has actually made sovereignty more important. It didn't necessarily have to be that way. So in that sense, yeah, I think that was probably a secondary factor that contributed to some of those other dynamics uh, that I talked about. And I think, as, as you know, China does not want to, has been trying to squeeze Taiwan's sort of international space. And I think this probably fed into the, you know, or, or the way in which the pandemic kind of highlighted Taiwan and some of its successes, paradoxically, may have made China sort of more concerned about the way in which that might uh, change Taiwan's sort of international recognition, even if completely un unofficial. Now, let's talk about South China Sea. I understand going along the thesis of the pandemic at most being a secondary factor. I remember last year reading reports claiming that China was taking advantage of the fact that Malaysia, Vietnam, and other countries were busy at home dealing with a pandemic and were potentially less active in the region. Did you see that in, uh, play out in the ground in terms of China was moving in, engaging more activities in the South China Sea because other countries were more or less preoccupied? Or did you not really see much of that in the South China Sea? It's very hard to tell, I think, at one level, uh, because a lot of you know, the sort of daily level of activity is not publicly reported. But your colleague, Greg Pulling, right through the, the AMTI project, has done terrific work on kind of China's presence in the South China Sea and right has three reports on the way in which China was using the Coast Guard in the last you know 18 months to uh, intimidate Malaysian oil and gas development. But the fact that China was continuing with its oil and gas development uh, in the South China Sea suggests that it really wasn't paring back its uh, activity and thus was actually attracting uh, greater uh, Chinese attention. Some 
oil and gas exploration activity in Vietnam may have been pared back, especially in the blocks that had been owned by the Spanish company Repsol, but that was a dynamic in 2018, most 2007, 2018 mostly, and so something that preceded the pandemic. And so I wouldn't necessarily attribute Vietnam's perhaps less active exploration activities, if that is an accurate assessment, as necessarily being attributed uh, to the pandemic either. Now, on the diplomatic level, I think all of these countries, especially in, in 2020, were quite active in terms of uh, the diplomatic notes that they submitted to the United Nations, uh, many of which rejected uh, China's historic rights claims, may, may, may have aligned these countries with the tribunal, uh, even indirectly, and, and its ruling that sort of negated any Chinese claim to historic rights and so forth. And that was all sort of a dynamic that was from the summer of 2020. Um, and of course, these countries were impacted uh, differentially as well. I mean, Vietnam, like uh, Taiwan, did not witness uh, the same kinds of outbreaks that other countries in the region witnessed. So I, I think it's, again, it's hard to tell in the South China Sea what, what is the additional or marginal effect of the pandemic on Chinese calculations. I mean, for the past five years or so, China has been using Coast Guard vessels to sort of intimidate Vietnamese and then more recently Malaysian uh, seismic uh, survey and exploration activities. Uh, and that has sort of continued to pace through the pandemic. So I, I think this is another example where China didn't halt uh, sort of its assertive behaviors that one might have expected a country to do if it was turning inward to focus on a pandemic and, in fact, was able uh, to, to maintain the pace of uh, those uh, activities. Before we wrap this up, I wanted to turn to another angle, looking at the PLA's contributions inward, exactly like you mentioned. So one other potential way in which the pandemic may have affected PLA operations could have been the PLA needed to do more inwards to help China deal with the situation at home. Did you see the PLA having to devote significant efforts to China's internal efforts to control the pandemic? And was that effort, did that detract from China's ability to do more abroad? I think the answer is probably no, but I want to hear your assessment of what the PLA was doing internally. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the answer is, is no. I would point to a couple of factors. Uh, one would be the fact that the most active role of the PLA was through medical teams that were dispatched uh, to Wuhan. I don't quote me on the numbers, or I'm not sure. I guess I'm putting myself on the record here on your podcast. I want to say it was four to six thousand um, personnel were involved. Maybe it was more. Um, it certainly relied on some of the uh, PLA Air Force's heavy lift capabilities. So in that sense, was a contribution, but um, and probably a significant contribution uh, in, in the case of Wuhan. Um, and of course, uh, you know, the, the spread of the pandemic in, in Wuhan was controlled you know, relatively quickly when compared to uh, the spread of the pandemic in other countries. And thus, whatever pressure had been placed on the PLA in that sort of frontline kind of experience, I think, abated uh, fairly quickly as well. But perhaps the broader point here is that we are now seeing kind of uh, the PLA reaping the success of two decades of really significant and sustained modernization, such that it can contribute part of its capabilities uh, internally, uh, such as the medical teams in Wuhan and perhaps elsewhere, but that doesn't necessarily prevent the PLA from maintaining its sort of pace of operations in other spheres. And so in other words, the PLA can sort of 
walk internally and chew gum externally, right? It can actually do both. And that may not have been true or may not have been as likely 10, 20, 30 years ago, uh, but because of the way in which uh, sort of PLA modernization has worked, it can really uh, focus in multiple areas at the same time. Uh, relatedly here, right, we see, of course, China in 2020 and into 2021 being uh, sort of assertive in multiple disputes uh, along its periphery at the same time, whereas previously we might have expected uh, China to you know, really focus on uh, one dispute and stabilize other disputes. And so here I'm just thinking of sort of the air patrols into the, in, into the Taiwan Strait and the Taiwan's air defense identification zone, and then sort of the pretty significant mobilization on the border with India, right? Those were clearly well within PLA capabilities uh, to do, even though one did sort of involve a significant uh, number of forces for you know, many months at a time. And so I'm, I'm not sure that the whatever additional sort of internal role the PLA played would really have, have necessarily limited or hampered its ability uh, to conduct more externally oriented operations at the same time, that granted with the exception of the India border operations were probably relatively small in terms of the assets they involve, but nevertheless, separate contingencies that would need to be monitored and managed. Let me just um, uh, wrap this conversation up by uh, following on your point about how uh, China is increasingly capable of engaging in multiple activities at the same time. As China becomes more and more capable, as China continues to modernize and bring more equipment online, uh, what would you recommend that the United States and our allies and partners, how should we respond to China that's becoming more assertive, regardless of whether that's pandemic cause or not? How would you advise the United States and allies and partners to think about responding to Chinese behavior? Well, that's a big question to end on, Bonnie. I think the short answer is to clearly focus uh, more on kind of working together, right? And that's going to be, I think, a consequence of the fact that the PLA is going to be active in multiple disputes simultaneously. Uh, and so uh, that means, I think, for the United States working together uh, with the countries on the front line of those disputes to ensure they have uh, the greatest uh, capacity to defend their interests that they possibly can. Uh, the U.S. can provide a lot of support in terms of intelligence and domain awareness uh, indirectly, as well as more direct support in terms of uh, military sales for equipment that might help plug specific gaps. Uh, but clearly, I think right that China in this sense is is really a much wider challenge and it, it doesn't affect uh, many countries and is able to do so at the same time. The United States is just one country. And so I think it's going to require much more in-depth kind of collaborative activities uh, between the United States and other like-minded countries to be able to enable them to uh, put forward uh, the best uh, possible defense of, of their own interests in the face of growing Chinese pressure. Thank you very much for both your discussion on how China has, the PLA has responded to the pandemic, as well as specific discussion of how the PLA reacted on multiple fronts and this final, um, your final recommendations for how the United States and our allies and partners can think about responding to the PLA. Thank you for joining us today.